listening to the SMS Text News Podcast. Here's the way it is. Live from London. Hello and welcome to the SMS Text News Podcast number 11. Ewan McLeod is still on his desert island this week, so we have myself, Ben Smith, Dan Lane and Jay Fenton on the line. Hello. Hello. <laughs> Hello. Grand. I think that's the slickest introduction we're going to get. Grand. So this week we are going to talk about a number of sub, a number of things in the news, particularly the Symbian and Nokia takeover. We're going to quickly review Blick again. We're going to talk about product leaks and uh, how Nokia particularly are talking about that. Um, we're going to cut another section in from Ewan that he sent over with the sound of lapping water and bubbles. Um, in the back of his podcast contribution. I will also just uh, rattle through some of the other old favourites as well, including Kicking Orange a little bit more about their data tariffs. So um, let's kick off, and um, we'll start with the Symbian and Nokia takeover. Now, Dan, you uh, you wanted to talk about this one? Yeah, I think it's the the big news of the week. Um, and actually, uh, that's, that's why I've asked Jay to join us, because he is uh, quite a hardcore mobile developer. And he also uh, has some involvement with another open source initiative that started out as a commercial entity. So I thought maybe he could uh, could uh, shed some light on uh, what he thinks. So the Symbian and Nokia announcement um, was really interesting. Um, kind of came out of nowhere. Um, we all knew that at some point Symbian was going to get bought up, and it was probably going to be Nokia um, because uh, Symbian powers most of the Nokia handsets out there. Um, the the comparisons that I'd like to make really are to a project called Open Solaris. Um, now Sun Microsystems um, open sourced uh, their flagship operating system called Solaris many, many moons ago now. Um, and everybody at the time thought it was a bit of a you know a PR stunt. Um, so Solaris for a long time, for, for listeners who aren't uh, aware, is a rock solid operating system used in hundreds of thousands of networks out there um, in everything from banking to military uses um, to internet providers um, and it, Sun as a company have um, some exceptional engineers there. Um, Solaris is comparable to things like Linux and uh, uh, other Unix operating systems out there. Um, and what happened is that Sun decided that what they were going to do is to open um, the Solaris source code, so what actually makes up the, the operating system and their core intellectual property that they've built, built up over the years, um, and allow other people to contribute to it. Um, the trouble with this is that when a company turns around um, after decades of years of development uh, to open source um, software that they've developed internally, built all of these tools for, it's very, very difficult. Um, the open source community in particular, um, if you look at a project like Linux, it's, it's all been created out in the open and it's almost organically been developed. Um, people have uh, created tools to uh, like Git and Subversion and CVS and these kind of things that allow a, a multitude of developers out there to contribute pieces of source to the overall project very easily. That's very different to someone like Sun and somebody like Symbian where there's a very um, clearly defined set of procedures and rules for people contributing internally to the this in, internal project that they're all working on. Um, very different, very different to the, the way open source works. Um, and one of the problems that happened with open Solaris is it took 
a number of years before Sun even managed to get the source code out of the door. Um, and even now, you can't commit code into OpenSolaris. Uh, and I feel that the same thing is going to happen with Symbian. You can't commit code into OpenSolaris unless you have one of the internal people at Sun actually looking over that code. So um, I, I also heard that there was going to be a charge for the uh, for the source code to actually get access to it. Is that right? Um, yeah, I think it's $1,500. So does that really make it properly open, then? It's not really. You could argue that that's not really open source, is it? You're just buying a license to the source code. Um, it's certainly a massive barrier to entry for anybody who uh, wants to go and look at the source code. Um, as, a, as a Symbian developer myself, um, I'd actually be really interested to peek under the hood and see what makes the Symbian operating system that runs on all these mobile phones tick. Um, and also being able to get access to things like uh, S60 and UIQ um, source code. And just to clarify for, for the listeners, um, what they've open sourced is basically, or, or what they're going to open source, are three different components um, of Symbian's intellectual property. So the first is uh, the Symbian operating system itself, which is the, the lower levels, the, the the code that talks direct, directly to the hardware that enables things like multitasking on the device. Um, and um, then you've got Series 60, which is the user interface. Um, so that's the part where you see all the menus and icons that are drawn on your screen. Um, and then there's also UIQ, which is an alternate um, version of uh, the user interface, which runs on things like the Sony Ericsson hardware, like the P800, the P990. Um, and for a developer, being able to see the source code under the hood is really helpful um, because when you're debugging your application, you're able to actually see all of the interactions that happened to make, for example, a menu draw on the screen. Um, and so it's very interesting. But $1,500 is a huge amount for an open source developer to pay, and it, it's simply not going to happen. Well, generally, um, open, open source developers come from two camps, though, don't they? They are the, the people who are genuine volunteer contributors who do it in uh, as uh, out of passion as as a spare time activity but then there are also firms who um contribute work into the open source community either out of a, a an intent to sort of promote themselves or or to give something to a community effort or or maybe to then take that um take that and then create a commercial product that in some way uses it and it strikes me that only really the companies are going to be able to probably want to pay this money because often the individuals who do who contribute to open source projects just would reject the payment idea on principle, never mind whether they can afford it or not. Um, absolutely. Um, I, I think open source with just commercial entities behind it um, and a, a, you know, a barrier to entry of paying this money to get access to it just doesn't work. You, they won't see, for one, they're not going to see companies contributing back uh, into the Symbian kind of ecosystem, the Symbian Foundation, um, quite as readily as they would have seen lots of contributions from people in the open source community. You know, these people who actually want their phone to work reliably. Um, you know, Linux has had a, an incredible um, an incredible raft of people doing development, working on their own little niche bits that they are in particular interested in, and then submitting that back, which helps the entire project. Um, People want to do that with their phones, I think. Um, there's a lot of people who like to work on the, is it the OpenMoco project, Dan? Yeah, yeah, OpenMoco is um, sort of an open source Linux-based uh, mobile phone platform. Exactly. It's only on, uh, I think, the Nokia 
tablet PCs, if I'm correct, is that the N800? I think I think that's the yeah the tablet the Mamo. Yeah, tablet stuff's all based on is it Mamo or Memo or something like that. Yeah. Oh yeah, sorry, that's not quite yeah, how you pronounce it, and that's all based yeah, but, on Linux, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, there is one uh, open source um, handset, and it's uh, called OpenMoco, isn't there, that runs that. Um, yeah. and, and they see a lot of people um, working on it, but there's no barrier to entry on that. You know, you buy the phone and you instantly get access to everything that makes up that phone. You can literally download all the software, uh, change it as you want, recompile it, and put it back on your phone. Um, I don't, I don't, I didn't get from the Symbian announcement that that was something that, that developers are going to be able to do. I don't think you're going to be able to go and get the source and roll your own version, say, of Series 60 and install it on your N95. In which case, I don't think what they've created is open source. Um, I guess the other, the other question is, you, you gave the example of how um, OpenSolaris was created by Sun, and but there was a sort of a barrier to um, contributing stuff back into the code base. Have we any ideas how, how receptive Nokia will be to submissions from outside, you know, outside well, their organization? Well, I have it on very good authority that um, the internal build systems, um, so the um, the systems, the tools and utilities and frameworks that the engineers use to actually create the Symbian operating system from the source code um, are um, pretty much a lot of glue and sticky tape. Um, and that, that's to be expected. Symbian grew um, out from a time uh, I think it's at least 10 years old now, if not a little bit longer. Um, but there wasn't anything out there that easily compiled very large projects like that for embedded devices at the time. And so Symbian had to write a lot of this stuff themselves. Um, Sun had the same problem with Solaris, which is why they have to have this kind of gatekeeper um, who looks at the source code from the, the open source contributor and then um, works with Sun's internal systems um, to integrate that into the Solaris code base. Um, and we're talking a handful of contributions a year. Um, I have it on, as I said, I have it on good authority that Symbian is exactly the same, if not more so. Um, and it's going to be very, very difficult for them to just flip a, um, flip a switch and get uh, people able to get easy access to this source code. So what really I think they've created is just a $1,500 license fee to get access to the Symbian source and the removal of the per handset royalty fees. Now, the latter is huge because it removes... Uh, a, a very large barrier to entry for people, uh, sorry, for large companies that want to create a mobile handset. So in that respect, it is, that's, that's going after things like Android? Absolutely, yeah. It is very, very comparable to Android. And in, in terms of um, t taking a comparison to Android, what about those other, what about those other elements? Are Google, uh, for example, um, going to have a, a truly open platform that uh, they'll accept sort of community contributions from? Um, from the looks of it, they, they've certainly said um, that that's the, the route they're going down. Um, I'm, uh, I'm not that familiar with Android. Um, I really want to you know, spend some time um, playing with applications on it and doing some development. Certainly the demos that I've seen of the Android operating system recently have been very impressive. Um, and you can, I think you can find those on YouTube these days. And so um, do, you think that, do you think this move is motivated by Android, or is it motivated by the fact that maybe the old, the old, very closed model was not serving them particularly well, just in terms of getting innovation out to the handset very quickly? Um, I, I think they're stuck at the moment. I think this was the best option they could take in a short amount of time. Um, what really surprises me is that Apple came out of nowhere with the iPhone. 
um, which they'd managed to keep very much under wraps. Um, it had some incredible developer tools, um, which obviously they'd leveraged everything they had um, in terms of development tools for Mac OS X. Um, for example, Interface Builder, the, the way you can drag and drop your user interfaces and then just um, attach code to them um, is, is very, very uh, intuitive and easy to develop for the iPhone. Um, Symbian doesn't have anything like that. They have the, um, this development environment called Carbide, uh, which runs inside of something called Eclipse. But in, in terms of it being intuitive and all drag and drop, it's very, very minimal. Um, and it's basically that way because the Symbian operating system and Series 60 and UIQ are decades old now, or <laughs> just over a decade old. Um, and that means that they don't take advantage of you know, shortcuts and all these innovations that have happened in uh, the development world uh, over the past few years. Um, something like Android comes in with Java, for example, um, and you're very easily, within, with just a, a couple of lines of code, able to knock up an application. Um, you, you can't easily do that in Symbian. There's just too much code that you need to have, even to just get something to appear on the screen. So uh, to, to wrap up then, um, good thing, bad thing, doesn't matter. What do we think? Um, from my side, doesn't matter. Bit of a PR stunt at the moment. Um, might be interesting in a couple of years' time. Yeah, it's um, definitely a definitely a long term thing, but I think you know so, something had to have happened to Symbian, so uh, this is probably the the most logical thing that could have could have saved it from uh, meltdown. And there, there is there is some hope though. Um, Symbian as a, an operating system to develop applications for on the mobile is very difficult, and you won't find a single uh, Symbian developer out there. Um, who A, has all his hair left, and uh, B, who enjoys working with the Symbian OS. So, uh, so the, uh, the, the Nokia deal might mean that um, certain changes start happening inside of Symbian that make the development tools a lot easier to use, and we might, um, in, say, a year's time, because these things take a while to develop, um, see some tools and utilities coming out of the Nokia Symbian um, deal that make things you know more android esque or more iphone esque to develop for the the next the next thing on the list is the uk01 network that we heard about this week again dan did you want to give us a, a brief introduction to what this is yeah let's let's not dwell too much on this one but it is a bit of a bit of a joke um basically a company has come forward and said that they've um signed a deal with a company that runs uh phone boxes and they're going to put um cell towers on top of them presumably something like a Pico cell or something like that. Um, and you'll be able to roam onto them using your UK01 SIM card and whenever there's coverage. So it sounds a lot like something um, that um, Hutchison, I think, launched a long time ago called Rabbit, which you might remember, where you had to go to I, specific I don't, I don't locations. I remember the old days, to be honest. <laughs> I, don't, I think I'm too young for this. Well, well, they 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 worked in in a similar way where you had to go. I think there there were some corner shops and things signed up to them, and you had to go there. And when you were there, you had um, you had signal, and you could you could make a call. But when you weren't there, it was completely useless. Because you, you know that's exactly there. where you want to go to make a phone call, isn't it, to your local paper shop? Well, it, yeah. Even even worse is that these guys are saying we're going to put them on to um, phone boxes, or they, they call them sort of information booths. But it's those phone boxes with the little interactive screens on them, isn't it? And so it's going to be to go to a phone booth to make a mobile phone call. Yeah, and then there's the next bit, which is um, where they say how you can 
you can use it, um, and when, you, when you're not in signal, you can put your old SIM card back in. So, yeah, we'll go to a phone box and we'll fiddle around with our SIM card so we can make a call just to save a few P. I don't think so. Uh, yeah, so there were some amusing comments on there. Fair enough. But, the, the, the I mean, to be clear, there's no um, roaming arrangement or anything, so this isn't some service you could sign up additionally to to just benefit automatically as you stroll past be, these, these hotspots. Yeah, to be honest, it, it sounds a lot like vaporware, and I don't think we'll ever see anything come of it. Do we really think a, a service like this is, is needed? Does the average normal know what a SIM card is and know how to change it? And it, it seems definitely, like you're expecting they, a lot. No, they definitely do because they're they're. I mean, when when people talk about normobs, I think of uh, my 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 family because they're not the most technical people. And my uh, my sister came to visit recently, and she was her battery was flat. So she was like, "Oh, can I put my SIM card in your phone?" And so yeah, they they do. Um, and you know, they they'll they'll get the concept of it. But I just don't think they're that bothered about saving. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't like you're saving a lot of money. And let's face it, everyone has these huge minute buckets these days. Mm. I don't I don't see why you'd you'd have to put a lot of value in there to make to make me go to a specific place to make a phone call and change my SIM card. Yeah, one place I have witnessed loads and loads of sort of SIM swapping was um, sort of over, traveling traveling overseas as you as you sort of cross country borders and things. You know, the the, the great SIM swap as you arrive into the new country on the ferry <laughs> or the, the train or whatever. It's well worth it because there's there's a huge amount of value to that, isn't there? Because you're going to you're going to yeah. save on all those roaming costs. Can't imagine. I can't imagine strolling down the strand to be honest and thinking I want to make a phone call and and swapping SIM cards. No, and then to go to a phone box to do it as well. Which if you're that bothered about saving money, pop 10p in the thing. And is it 10p? Exactly. I don't know. I've, not, I've never used. <laughs> I haven't used a phone box in many, many years. Is it still 10p to make a call? I, I don't, it's probably I don't a pound know. now, isn't it? I, I thought the only function that phone boxes serve now was a sort of a public convenience a replacement service. Um, <laughs> um, I've actually just moved into the country this week, and round the corner from uh, my new house is a public phone box, you know, one of the old red BT ones. Um, wow. There's a big sign on the front that says, cash not accepted. Now, this is a payphone in the middle of nowhere that BT won't even come out to, to collect the money from. You have to use a, a debit or credit card. Oh, I see. And how expensive is it to make calls on a credit card? With I mean, assuming it's sort of fairly high transaction fees. Um, yeah, I didn't look presumably, the calls aren't 10p anymore. I you can't put 10p that. in and make a call. No. Presume if you have a real emergency, you don't need to whip out your debit card. Mm. Well, this is true. <laughs> please, 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 please type in your PIN code in order to dial 999. So, yeah, UK01 is a, is a pretty silly idea. It was interesting to look at their website that it's a fairly amateurish operation, so it makes you wonder exactly Definitely. why somebody spent... I mean, it's, I think it's only tens of thousands of pounds for the licence, so it's a fairly low-rent operation to begin with, but why spend that much money on, on getting that licence if you yeah. then can't even sort of launch a, even a, a trivial service as for you know, sort of niche customers? Yeah. While we're talking about unsuccessful mobile networks, Blick, I, 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 want, I want to like Blick so much. It's, I, I was originally very dubious about the concept. We've seen it. It's had some uptake and they seem to be quite successful they announced this week or at least very recently that they are rolling out into uh, some other other countries as well across Europe I think it is but um, Ricky's most recent Blickwatch says that they're still having problems with data and some of the commenters on the site have said that as well so do we think now that Blick's getting to the point where 
they have so many service problems that they're actually about to kill their kill their offering offering by scaring their customers away. Well, I think wasn't wasn't it Blick who was saying that they had that problem where they kept sending people text messages again and again, mm-hmm. um, and then they they announced that they'd hired some people in to fix it. Was that Blick? We we that we, was we yeah, yeah we had a go on, on one of the previous podcasts. Um, yeah, don't I don't think they should really be expanding until they've actually got the service working in one territory. You know, m- yeah. make it a success in one place and then expand. And I wouldn't call what they've got at the moment a huge success. I mean, there's, there's take-ups. That's a, that's a, that's a great thing, really. Um, but you know, there's a lot of negativity coming out whenever someone seems to mention Blick. It's always are oh, they're they're good and you know they do what they say on the tin. But this hasn't worked and this this has never worked and so on. And it's a real shame because I think Blick as a as a business model and. Uh, as a service for the for the consumer is a fantastic product. I mean, it enables um, teens and uh, uh, young adults, etc., to to get free phone calls, and all they have to do is sit to a little bit of advertising. Um, I, I think that's a really good product. It's just I mean, a shame yeah, it's not very are... technically good. <laughs> yeah, but they are at risk now. There's um, there's that company that that was featured on SMS Text News briefly uh, during the week. That was doing a similar service where they just convert you viewing adverts into cash, which you can then use to pay for your mobile bill or, or whatever. Yes, although so again, there, was, there was some very negative feedback about that firm as well, I think. Um, uh, people people saying that it was um, difficult to sign up to and possibly not a very uh, not a very clear in terms of what you were agreeing to um, in terms of terms and conditions and things. So, mm. I mean, do we think that this is a part of the market where people's aspirations are exceeding their ability to deliver things in terms of, you know, the money they can throw at this now. I don't I don't see why it should be a case of um I mean I mean the stuff that Blick's got is very good. Um the service seems to be, you know, all there. It's just their technical difficulties have, have kind of got in the way. If someone was to do the same thing and not, you know, not have these technical difficulties, I think it's it's gonna be a brilliant a brilliant thing for students. Um, but I don't, I don't see how it's a, a case of um, throwing money at it. I think it's just a case of doing it right. I mean, Blick have obviously got enough cash there to to have done it right in the first place. They just didn't. I, I was thinking about it in terms of. Uh, I, I wonder if the if the, all the technical problems we're seeing are because they're skimping on the you know the, the cleverness that happens under the surface. Is this a, a an operation that's uh, struggling to? Put the time and the effort into maintaining the services and employing people with the technical skills. Because I mean, yourself and Jay understand how how complex it is to effectively run, you know, sort of a, a, a telco company. You know, all the the technical skills that you need to have just to keep the wheels turning. Well, the hardcore technical stuff on on things like this would almost always be outsourced when you're doing an MVNO like they are. Right. Um, so may, maybe they have skimped on that, but I don't. I don't know. Tricky one. It, without, seems like more interest, it seems like they're more interested in growing the, the business side of the company and expanding into Europe and getting all these eyeballs on it. Yeah, I mean, you, essentially within Blick, they've probably got very few techies actually on, on the permanent staff. Um, yeah. I'd imagine that it's, it's generally a, a business-oriented um, company. Um, and like I said, most of, the, most of the techie stuff will be outsourced. But then, you know, there, there are a few companies you can outsource this sort of stuff to. And they generally do a, do quite a competent job. Okay, so uh, try harder, Blick, then, because this this shouldn't be complicated. No, not if you're paying someone else to do it for you. 
<laughs> fair, fair enough. Let, let, let's try and talk, let's try and talk about something positive. I'm, I'm scanning down my I'm scanning down my list, but it, it, it begins to turn into a bit of a winch fest. So um, <laughs> I wanted to talk about um, well, very very briefly, and it, it's a silly thing, but customer customer service. And I, I enjoyed a bit of Apple customer service this week, and it made me think about how that would equate to um, service with mobile phones, for example. Um, I, I mean, my particular bit of customer service was on a laptop that was broken, and I took it into the Apple store, had a timed appointment with somebody. Um, they had all the parts there in the store, went away, did some repair for me, brought it back to me. 20 minutes later, I trotted out of the Apple store, um, a happy camper with, with my fixed product. I mean, uh, and any sort of um, irritation over it breaking in the first place was, was you know, sort of, was gone, and I was just one thinking about how that would equate to the experience of owning maybe an iPhone, where I could go and get a similar level of service on the device if it failed or if it broke, um, against maybe some of the other uh, frustrations. For example, when James has written about um, needing to send handsets away or have couriers deliver them and things. Um, I mean, do, do you guys do you guys think, for example, that um, actually the customer service and the experience with buying the the iPhone product is going to be a, a differentiator? I'm I'm not sure. I don't. I I never factor in things like insurance. I never buy mobile phone insurance. Um, right. Simply because you know if it if it breaks um, and it's a manufacturing fault, then it should really be covered. Um, if it breaks and it's my fault, then I shouldn't be so so careless with it. It's a stupid tax. Yeah, yeah. So you know that eight pound a month. You know that could be spent elsewhere on. I don't know a travel card or something. And, <laughs> um, and in but, find that, you know, home insurance is, uh, covers mobiles at the moment. Right. Yeah, that's um, interesting. I didn't didn't realise they did that. But with with regards to the iPhone, which I think was where you were going with this, um, yeah. one of the one of the good things about using the iPhone is that everything is synced using iTunes, and so you can throw your iPhone away, grab a new one, plug it in. It says, "Do you want to restore everything from your last iPhone sync to this new iPhone?" And leaving aside things like your um, customized apps that you've installed because you've jailbroken it everything that you know is standard on there address books contacts um your email and everything is just synced across um and it should pretty much be uh the same handset or the contents of the same handset you just threw away not sure how that's going to change when they bring out the new app store and whether any of the data that third parties are storing on there is going to be synced as well but hopefully it should be and so if i have a problem i can just go into the apple store and say, look, this doesn't work, and hopefully they can just swap it straight out, because obviously they're not, then it's not like a laptop where they're going to take it apart and replace a faulty component in front of you, because it's uh, it's just not practical. Yes, I mean, I, I, I also liked the, the fact with, with with Apple that there was sort of this expectation that it should be fixed at all costs um, at my visit, and um, that I shouldn't need to come back, because I was expecting to have to leave the device and go away. I mean, to the point where the, the fault I had was a fairly minor thing with a keyboard, and to the point where they were going to replace virtually half the laptop just so that I could take it away there and then. You know, the entire top panel. The was that pad. under? Was that under like an extended Apple Care thing? Or was that under the no, standard Apple Care? That was just that was just under the I have bought it less than twelve months ago and it's broken. Please make it fixed arrangements. Excellent. Um, and I mean, they were li- literally. I mean, I, I, I say they, they were going to they were going to replace whole panels. Now, fortunately, it turned out not to be necessary because it struck me as just a colossal waste of resources, but, uh, you know, sort of replacing that, that component. But it was nice to know that had I needed it, it was it was happening. It's making me think, actually, um, 
if I broke my iPhone or if it failed. Um, I suppose people who aren't actually close to um, Apple stores, although the, this service I think is available through Apple resellers as well, I was wondering if it would be, begin to become a bit of a brand differentiator because generally uh, the backup service when things go wrong with mobile handsets at the moment still feels fairly poor. I mean, Jay, you've just moved out into the middle of nowhere. So, I mean, do you, do you, do you, when, you purchase, when you purchase devices now, do you think about sort of um, the, the follow-up service or is it a case of that's just a pleasant or unpleasant surprise after the fact? Um, well, I think anybody who's uh, had kind of mobile insurance and then either lost their handset or, or broken it has generally had a bad experience. Um, certainly things I've heard from people are, you know, if... Uh, if you report that your phone's been nicked, you've got to file a police report and all that kind of um, stuff. And you, you've been paying 10 quid a month for however, uh, God knows how long, um, to get this wonderful insurance where you thought you would just, you know, within a day, get a replacement phone. And it often takes several days. Um, I think it absolutely could be a differentiator. Um, but I don't think the insurance companies have got it right at the moment, or at least the way it's being pitched to the consumer isn't right. When I bought my uh, N95 recently um, on Vodafone, I got it from a Phones for You shop, and um, they they were absolutely aghast that I didn't want the insurance. And I, I mean, literally, they called the manager over, and he was like, "Are you sure, sir? You know that this phone's very expensive, and if you lose it, you will have to buy a new one." And I, and, and I was just, you know, I was just like, "Yeah, so." <laughs> it was like, and it's very obvious when you're in the store and they're trying to sell you this insurance that they make most of their money from the insurance and not from the phone and not from the service that you get from them um, because you could see the profits draining in front of your eyes. Um, <laughs> but if they'd have, if, if that manager had come over and gone, well, look, yes, it's, you know, I don't know how much it was, six or seven pounds a month, but yes, it's, it's six or seven pounds a month. But if you lose it, we'll replace it within the hour. You know, we'll bike someone over to you. I probably would have taken it. Or, or even you can just go into any store and we'll hand you one over straight away. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I would, have, I would have taken that because that convenience factor and that security is great. Okay. Yeah. It's. Uh, I, I say. I, I. It was just a, 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 pass, a passing thought, but it was that. It was that instant gratification, and I. I really liked the fact it got. It got fixed quickly, and I was thinking. Well, I was umming and ahhing about would I upgrade uh, an iPhone? You know, in July, um, and then thinking actually, well. Because because there are a number of Apple stores in the southeast of England and they're relatively convenient. Actually, this might be a this this might be an additional um, a positive uh, thing of owning an Apple handset is that I can go into the shop and you know it, or, or, although I may need to book an appointment, um, I can then go and see somebody who is you know sort of, well, I mean I think Apple calls them geniuses, which I think is probably a little bit overstating it, but you know <laughs> they they know they know the products and they will try and fix it and they've got the stock yeah. and the and the replacement parts there rather than like you say that sort of mystery mystery sort of warranty come insurance black hole where it vanishes into exactly. Okay, so um, what else should we talk about this week? We were just going to quickly cover off Orange's data tariffs. Um, yep. So eight pound eight pounds a month for two hundred and fifty megabytes of data. Brilliant, I think. I think it, hold on, hold on. Is it though? Have you tried to buy this? Ah, go on then. I, I was going to say nineteen ninety nine I... called and wanted tariff back, but go on. <laughs> well, <laughs> I if if you have a look at their website, um, you can go through and choose a monthly plan. Um, and whenever you choose a monthly plan, you get the option of adding Orange World da Data Bundle. 
right. one meg of data is about the same as 160 watt pages, 100 short emails, four video clips, or three Fire Player music tracks. Monthly bundle, eight pounds, 30 meg limit. Ooh. That's not yeah, too so, I <laughs> yeah, so I won't be adding that one. Um, so what else do I get? I'm looking at the page right now, obviously. Um, I've got travel bundles, text messaging bundles. I've got more benefits with BlackBerry. Talk with BlackBerry. Plan 18 months. Data usage unlimited. Cost £7.50. But that's specifically for BlackBerry. Right. So it's offering me that, and it's saying, you know, check this to select Talk with BlackBerry. It's not selling it to me as, um, you know, unlimited data. It's selling it to me as BlackBerry. Um, so what? Wh where do I get this uh, this this legendary 250 meg thing? And the only place I can get unlimited data is on Panther Thought Panther 40. I have trouble saying that. Um, where I can sign up for a quite reasonable 24 month contract for 35 pounds a month online or 40 pounds a month in store, and I'm allowed to add one benefit, and that can either be unlimited text, unlimited landline calls, orange calls, or 250 meg anytime mobile browsing and I can also add those benefits on the 18 month Panther 45 which is 40 pounds online or 45 pounds in store so I can't see where this uh, this add-on for what was it eight pounds a month is well, that's, coming that's, from. What's been, that's what's been reported and I mean certainly um, other people have other people have said that they had trouble finding it but they have managed to get it via customer services but isn't isn't a tariff that isn't properly advertised um and easily accessible as good as no tariff at all yeah i mean it's it's something that it sounds like they're giving it to existing customers um which is a good thing you know these existing customers should get good deals um but i should you know I, i'd like to be able to select it from the website and click some buttons and buy it um and just to compare i had a look at the same sort of thing on vodafone and i can get a vodafone and um click through on any of their uh, their tariffs and as I, as I do so, it gives me the option to add unlimited internet, um, mobile internet from Vodafone, unlimited browsing and webmail for just £7.50 a month. And I tick the box and it's added. And there's a more details thing which tells me it's fair usage. And I had to had to dig around for the fair usage policy, but eventually it told me it was 500 meg a month. Um, but that was fair usage. So if I go over it, they'll contact me to talk to me about my usage. Right, because we've, we've got a post on the site. Uh, you posted it, I think, um, but a, a reader cat wrote in and talked about having added this 200 and, um, 250 megabytes bundle. And I mean, actually, in the post it says um, that the, uh, the the shops the shop staff didn't know anything about it, and uh, they accidentally added the 30 megabyte bundle onto the pack onto her uh, new subscription. But it was only when um, uh, she called customer services um, they they realised the error and, and got it rectified. Um, so it appears it's out there, but again, they're, they're not doing a great job of marketing it or indeed telling their staff about it either. Um, no, I mean, well, obviously, that... I, I think it's something they've been forced to do to compete, and it's not something that they they really you know want to make a big noise about. Whereas Vodafone, at least, are putting uh, you know when I click through to say I want this contract, it's saying, do you want to add seven pound fifty for unlimited browsing? But but uh, I mean, our our consumers are consumers really differentiating? Um, the, the subscriptions that they buy now on numbers of minutes and text messages. I mean, judging by the number of adverts from all the different network operators, I thought, you know, rightly or wrongly, they're really pushing all these additional services like, you know, unlimited Facebook or unlimited access to Bebo. And although we sort of laugh and say, well, why would you push that? Why not everything? It, it, it's at least planting the idea in the consumer's mind that it's it's more more than just a phone. I think it's very yeah. confusing for the end user, though, isn't it? I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember seeing adverts 
um, six or nine months ago from Orange where they were talking about these new raccoon and panther and mongoose tariffs that they've got. Um, and I thought this was meant to simplify the tariffs. But now you've got a Panther 45 with unlimited internet, but not really unlimited, um, with Facebook, Amiibo, and <laughs> they're yeah, completely I've got, I've got Panther 45. I've got Panther 45, which is an 18-month contract with 1,200 minutes that costs £40. And I've got Panther 40, which is a 24-month contract with the same number of minutes that costs £35. Where does the 40 come from? And then you've got loads of options that you can bolt onto that. Yeah, and then I've got to choose a benefit, and then when I've chosen my benefit, it tries to sell me the same benefit again for another £5. And Yeah, it's it's very confusing. But it all, I think most of the mobile networks have this really confusing approach to selling you stuff. And, and and the trouble is the typical consumer would get completely baffled with clicking all these options, give up, go into the store, ask the person behind the counter about mobile data, only to be met with a blank face and, oh, I'll call this Indian call center and um, we'll yeah. wait the, 15 by minutes of your life. By the way, do you want insurance on that? Exactly. That's it. It was it, it was so, interesting, actually. When, as, I, as I was ambling around the Apple store, having arrived a little bit early, they gave me, um, they gave, they gave me a pager. Uh, to wait for my appointment, and I, I went round, and um, I did. I did wonder actually whether this was part of a tactic to try and make me buy more stuff because I stood there with <laughs> all these shiny toys, thinking, "Well, I could really do with one of those." And you know, here I am. I've got five minutes to spare. But um, yes, I, I wonder if that would also count for going into store, so you can be pushed, um, like like you say, insurance or, or plans like that. Maybe okay. they use the pager to work out which laptops and d devices from Apple that you've been um, nearest to for the longest amount of time. And then when the guy comes over to help you, he can go, so are you interested in a 15-inch Apple laptop? <laughs> I, think actually, I think actually it was it was likely to get me jumped on by the in-store security because I kept fumbling around in my pocket, putting things down, <laughs> putting them back again. And I think security thought, you know, since I was hanging around, obviously, you know, sort of just ambling around looking at any old rubbish, that I was just waiting for them to, to look away so I could pocket loads of stuff. But no, they're actually they're actually very good. The security in the Apple Store. I went to buy a laptop bag in there, and so to test it out, I emptied the contents of my current laptop bag into it felt it a bit and then proceeded to take all the Apple goods that I just put in that bag out and put it in my knackered old bag, look at the security guard and walk out. The SMS Text News Podcast, live and direct from London, England. Okay, as in, as last week, you and Hare sent us an audio submission for the podcast, so uh, we will splice that bit in now and uh, hopefully, we haven't heard it this week. But before we splice it in, but hopefully it will have the sound of palm trees and uh, sun in the background. Uh, I'm not sure. What the, I'm not sure what the sound of sun is, but it, last week the sound of smugness was mostly coming out of it, as you could hear the water lapping against the beach as he was talking to us. Um, obviously, Ewan this week has been mostly speaking to the president, president of the Maldives, as far as we can tell, uh, to try and get his mobile network back. Um, only Ewan McLeod would end up speaking to the president of the uh, country he was visiting in order to get access to his uh, his electronics. So we'll splice that in now. This is uh, Ewan from from the beach. Uh, last couple of days of the Desert Island Challenge, uh, which and it has indeed been a challenge, particularly 
since the centerpiece of the whole feature that I've been uh, running or trying to run for the last two weeks here in the Maldives was the personal or private mobile network PMN from Teleware and uh, it's, it's a big box but the size of a hamper um, actually probably a little bit um, a little bit smaller than that, the, a medium-sized hamper take it um, take it anywhere on the planet it's got a, ba a good battery on it uh, switch it on and you get mobile service in your own private mobile network uh, Everything was going great until obviously I arrived at customs here in the Maldives. I negated to inform the government that, uh, of my intentions. And uh, had I done so, I think things would have been extremely smooth. Uh, since I didn't, it was uh, quite a challenge. They uh, took one look at the box and went, what's that? I did my best to explain and they really weren't getting me. Um, and because it's, it's telecommunications equipment, they have a role here, um, you know, you need to have a license, basically, uh, even if it's your own. Um, and I, you know, obviously I was claiming it as my own uh, on loan from Teleware. Uh, finally, finally via uh, PR agency Hill and Knowlton, I managed to get in contact with the president of the Maldives, uh, or via his spokesperson, who is apparently going to make it happen for me uh, very quickly. So we'll see. Within the uh, next couple of days, I may well be able to bring you pictures and video off my own private mobile network. I just thought it'd be really interesting. I thought it'd be really interesting to see it working and on a desert island. Well, you know, that was just really cool. Um, we'll see. Otherwise, I'll be able to show it working on um, on British soil. I'll be back uh, back in the UK on Monday. Enjoy the podcast, or the rest of the podcast, as I have been from the beach. See you all soon. Bye. Warning. You've reached your fair usage allowance for SMS tech. The cellular customer you are trying to reach is outside the coverage area or unable to take your call. Please try your call again later. Brilliant. I hope you both enjoyed that as much as I did. Oh, it was fantastic. Excellent. Yeah, I enjoyed it. You're not very talkative, is he? <laughs> time on time. Excellent. Now, James Watley sends his best this week as well. Obviously, he's off at Glastonbury. I spoke to him just before we started recording the podcast. And apart from the fact that he clearly demonstrated that he'd much rather go and listen to bands whilst at Glastonbury than talk to me, um, the other thing he said was that he wasn't having much joy when, with most of the mobile um, charging technology that he'd taken with him. Uh, he wasn't? He's got, no, he's got solar chargers and battery packs and all <laughs> manner of things. But he said ultimately the only thing that was proved reliable really for him was the uh, four batteries he'd taken with him, which were all pre-charged. Um, although I'd say, given um, given James's penchant for instant gratification and his, his reluctance to work with anything that doesn't work perfectly the first time, I suspect <laughs> it, may, it may actually be the fact that the solar recharger didn't recharge his N95 instantaneously and therefore he wasn't satisfied with it. But yeah. look, for some, look for some write-ups when he gets back. I know, obviously, he's been testing a number of gadgets, but mostly, mostly focusing around battery life. So, Dan, you wanted to mention the Rogers iPhone tariff. Yeah, mainly. Um, there, there's, there's, you know, a lot of uh, talk going on at the moment. I, I know Crystal's doing some articles about it, about how terrible the uh, Canadian mobile industry is for the consumer and how they're pretty much locked into using Rogers or Fido. Um, I'm not actually sure if they're the same company or not, but um, yeah, that's pretty much the only option they've they've, they've got for getting uh, decent handsets and coverage. And uh, and the iPhone has been announced on Rogers. Um, 
on a three-year contract. Ouch. I, I can't, you know, I, people sign up for mortgages for 25 years. I don't see how, uh, you know, you know how, how that's possible to, to say, you know, I'm going to sign up for something and this is going to be something I'm doing for the next 25 years. But three years on a mobile contract, that's ridiculous. Think, think of how, how, the, how the industry's changed in the last three years. What you're basically saying is that the 3G iPhone is good enough, it will do me for three years, and I don't think that's the case. Three years is ridiculous. I can't have. I can't imagine having a handset that lasts three years. I mean, with the best one in the world, even if the 3G iPhone is the best device in the world ever, um, it, it's going to be susceptible to knocks and scrapes and dropping it and things. I mean, I, I kill a handset about once every six months. That's why yeah, you should I mean, buy the insurance. <laughs> I mean, my, my iPhone's looking a bit scuffed, but to be honest, you know, I'm always very careful not to put it in a pocket with keys and things. And I did have a protective case for it for a while. But um, I know, I know a colleague of mine, Ed, he tends to just throw his in his pocket with his keys and everything, and his is looking terrible. And he's only had it, what, um, maybe six, maybe eight, eight, nine months. And, you know, it really does look like it's... Uh, it's it's been through the wars. Well, and the, and the I remember account. when the iPhone first came out. I mean, it, and I was um, not particularly enamoured with the eighteen month contract that O2 were doing. Eighteen months is a huge amount of time. So three yeah, years I'm, is just ridiculous. I've kind of come around to the idea of an eighteen month contract because that's what I've got with T-Mobile and uh, three at the moment. But you know, a twenty four month contract, I definitely wouldn't do. A three year, it's just it's just mine. You know. I can't get my head around the, the idea that people are going to sign up for three years for a mobile phone contract. And uh, it's interesting why they've done this as well. Um, it's obviously the longest contract um, that I think, I think I've ever heard of for a mobile phone. Um, and the, there's, uh, the Canadian government has just auctioned off uh, a bunch of new Spectrum over there. So they're about to lose their near monopoly situation to some new startups, and so they're basically looks like they've got the iPhone and they've they've they're they're capitalising on that and saying you know people are going to pay for the iPhone, let's use this as a way to lock them in and uh, take away some you know help help us when we're coming up against these competition. Certainly, I mean the there's a protest site that's been set up www.ruinediphone.com, which. Um, is where a lot of sort of people, Canadians who were um, anticipating the iPhone and, and looking forward to being able to have it as they as they term legally, because of course there's probably a lot of iPhones swilling around Canada at the moment, but jailbroken and unlocked, um, and uh, and they're, they're disgusted not just with the three-year tariff but also the huge cost as well because um, I think the cheapest one is about sixty Canadian dollars a month, which doesn't seem that bad, but by the time you factor in all the taxes and fees and the fact that you actually appear to have to pay for um, call forwarding and text messages and various other sort of services as well that it's rushing up closer to 90 to 100 Canadian dollars a month and that's wow. a, a huge amount again especially to make a commitment over three years um, and it doesn't seem no other phone company in the world seems to be gouging its customers quite so badly so yeah it does seem like maybe Rogers is utilising its position as an almost monopoly supplier. You, you have to wonder actually what Apple are making of this as well because of course by locking in with certain uh, certain networks in certain countries the people's perception of their product is tied to the tariff as well and of course Apple are maybe getting their kickbacks or their, share, their revenue sharing or, or they're obviously not anymore so much but um, it, it's you know there's potentially that uh, a, a poor network operator could actually ruin the image of the iPhone uh, in a particular market, uh, regardless of what hardware and software platform Apple put out. Well, so in the meantime, go and have a look at www.ruinediphone.com, especially if you are 
um, looking to uh, to buy an iPhone in Canada and um, maybe support them. So far, they have uh, 11,584 people signed the petition to Steve Jobs to give Rogers a kicking. Well, obviously, once once our once our masses of listeners have got hold of that, that 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 number is going to shoot right up. Shoot li- literally to the eleven thousand six hundred number. That's it. The, the, the rumor is that at least ten thousand of those are just crystal repeatedly clicking over and over again. <laughs> okay, so um, the the other big thing I wanted to talk about this week was a post that has come out on the Nokia Conversations blog. He what he's posted about is. The the, leak, the product leaks that they're having trouble with um, in Nokia, I mean, particularly, obviously, they're referring to the E71, which was leaked massively uh, for a good well six months plus um, ahead of it, ahead of its launch, and including obviously the videos that we've discussed before and the Boy Genius report, which did lit, literally had the, had the product there in front of the camera and did a full five minute walkthrough, well, twice over, I think they did on the, the Boy Genius report. And he's he's written up. I mean. It, the interesting thing about the Nokia Conversations blog is that it actually looks like it's a message to, as much to people inside Nokia as it is to outside Nokia, basically saying, look, you know, open your eyes and, and stop stop misbehaving because uh, leaking products is, is actually damaging us more than it is helping us. But I, my my initial reaction to reading this really was that he, he you know, it sort of. Um, Physician heal theirself, really. You know, Nokia. Nokia. It's all very well Nokia saying, "Oh, we're not very happy about this happening," and I mean that's entirely predictable. But actually, they needed to just get on and and sort that out because other firms don't seem to leak quite quite so badly. And um, I get the, I get the impression that actually it, it's it's their own internal failings that mean that these things come out. I mean, do you guys even think that these leaks are a bad thing, particularly? No, I, I definitely don't think they're a bad thing, and I think. Um you know, uh, Boy Genius has always been very good at getting very early information about handsets, especially with in the early days of their existence. They did a lot of stuff with the BlackBerry, um, and now, you know, like, like you said, they had an E71. Uh, granted, it was it wasn't the it didn't have the final firmware on it, but they had a handset before it had even been announced, and they were doing videos of it. And you know, we pretty much knew everything there was to know about it before it had been announced. So. Um, I, th- I think that's a good thing because it builds up the hype without Nokia actually having to do a great deal apart from just send out a handset to some people. It's, um, it's interesting that a lot of people thought that that um, video was Nokia endorsed, but it appears on the basis of what's been written here that it's not the case. I just assume that, that they gave out a bunch of handsets to people um, with you know a contract saying you know don't don't disclose anything until after this date. Yeah, that's the usual way they do it, I believe. Yeah, I mean certainly. Yeah. I mean, with SMS Text News, we we occasionally get the opportunity to see things ahead of time and um, and and operate under a non-disclosure agreement. And I mean, in those cases, we're quite strict that we do observe those because ultimately. I just I just like to say I'm I'm sorry to interrupt, but I did have ruinediphone.com on my on on my site on, on my browser while we were talking about it, and they have just breached the eleven thousand six hundred and nine mark. So, can, good good work, our listeners. Before we've even published it, you've uh, you've pushed it up there. I'd be reticent to claim credit for that, but we can. <laughs> if I re-edit this, uh, maybe maybe that will uh, make it sound like we've just uh, we've pushed out broadcasting live now. <laughs> Dear God, um, yeah. So um, we, I mean, we we obviously we we observe non-disclosure agreements when they're given to us because we should we choose not to bite the hand that feeds us. We want to have a relationship with these companies so that we get the opportunity to see these things 
I mean, for example, you know, we we were invited to the uh, to the launch in London of the of the E seventy one. But it was interesting that some... at which she proceeded to steal a handset. Yeah, I, that's I... that's maintaining a great relationship. <laughs> I, I, as I said on a number of occasions, there was a misunderstanding, and uh, and the handset has been returned to its rightful owners now. And apologies. Was, was the misunderstanding that you got caught? <laughs> <laughs> the misunderstanding was that somebody thought that I could review it in the time it would take me to take it out of the box, and I assumed review it meant take it away and play with it. But hmm. yes, I, 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 I was in the wrong, and many apologies <laughs> to anyone who was upset by my thievery. But, I mean, he, here, for example, it was interesting that... Um, I mean, the guys, for example, the guys from the All About Symbian blog who came to that same same launch and I mean had done done some excellent write-ups had had their hands on the device pre, um, in advance as well, and they actually brought one uh, E71 that they had been given by Nokia to the launch and then were able to publish their write-up during the during the launch event. And then in that case, yeah, presumably like, they were under an embargo though. They, they were, and and obviously they chose to they, they chose to um, to observe that. And I mean, I know that that Rafe and, and the guys there are very Serious about their relationship with Nokia and firms like that, so I, I think obviously that's that's something that they take very seriously, and they did a good job there because they had the information early, but they respected Nokia's um, Nokia's NDA. But of course, yeah, quite quite often when there is an embargo and someone breaks it, it's a key for everyone else who's under the same embargo to break it as well. Yes, but I was just think, I was just thinking as well though that the, I mean the ND, the NDA obviously is a is a is a effectively a legal agreement, but you don't hear of many bloggers being sued. Um, for breaching it, because I, I assume, uh, if nothing else, the damage has rather been done. There's not a great deal of uh, not mm. not a great deal of point in suing somebody. You may just sort of sever Nokia, may choose not to talk to them in the future. But for that particular device, you know, uh, so I guess that's done and dusted. I guess the question is, did uh, did the boy genius have um, some agreement with Nokia to get that handset, and um, were they under some kind of embargo, and did they break it? And if so, you know, it's a bit bit of a strange one, really, because they they have really come from nowhere. You know, they're, they're not they're not a massive site like Engadget, um, and uh, they they got some good scoops early on and built a name for themselves. And if by breaking that embargo, they've they've endangered that. It seems a bit weird. Well, but this, this, it certainly didn't seem to seem 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 to sound like it when they were doing the videos. It all seemed very above board. Absolutely. Well, this write up this write up specifically says that um, it wasn't an endorsed it wasn't an endorsed access to the product. But also, it wasn't an official product as well. So it seems like somebody somebody within Nokia has handed the handset over. Or of course, it doesn't necessarily need to be Nokia. It could be any one of the partners in terms of the mobile mm. networks or anyone else who has valid reason to have devices ahead of time. Um, but they've, and they've handed and they've handed that over. And it wasn't particularly a breach of an NDA because, of course, that was a prototype device that was being demonstrated. And all the devices that went out under NDA were production ready. Devices, mm. you know, which went out to bloggers for, yep. for or bloggers and journalists for for proper review. Um, but like I say, and obviously, whilst a lot of people observed that, they, you have to have to trust the community there. But I was really surprised that they were they were talking about it in these in these terms because I rather I rather thought that um, if you can see one of your devices on camera and not identify which one it is, for example, and who owns it, that's your failing for for not managing your pre-production devices very effectively. I mean. Uh, Apple, Apple, I seem to be at the other end of the scale here. You know, sort of almost um, very, you know, zealous about um, you know keeping the, keeping their pre-production products out from underneath the camera. And generally, I mean, with their mobile handsets, less so. But generally, fairly successful at that. But it, it it seemed a strange a strange thing to be saying out in, out to the public. I um, mean, the question that's posed at the end of the article is, where do we go from here? Um, and I, I would rather think that that was actually 
although the conversations blog is a good thing, that was something that should be kept private, actually. You know, sort of getting your house in order is an internal thing. Definitely, definitely an internal thing, yeah. And I know that there are there are a couple of Nokia bloggers who were who were saying actually internal to Nokia who were saying you know oh thank 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 thankfully that's been announced now um, I can actually take the one I've got with me out into public and so if you know the Nokia staff aren't allowed to take it into public then I think you know the fact that Boy Genius got hold of one is a bit a bit off really. Yeah, absolutely. Jay, what do you think? Does this does the does does the leaking of a product? I mean, like the E seventy one. Uh, d- damage it ahead of time, or or is this or is this something that's only positive? Um, I think it only damages it if the product turns out to be shoddy. Um, you know, if it gets a bad review before it's even uh, got out of the the factory door, as it were, then uh, it's, it's not a very good start for a product. Um, in, the, in the case of the E seventy one, the the review was overwhelmingly positive. Um, yeah, absolutely. And I, I mean, personally, I was reading through the reviews, and it, it looks like a fantastic device. Um, you know, I, I'm quite excited about it. Um, I'll be looking forward to getting hold of one. So it it doesn't really damage the product because the only people who uh, ultimately get to see it when it's leaked onto uh, blogs like that are people who are in the industry um, or at least interested in the industry. Um, so, you know, the consumer will make up their own mind at the end of the day. Yes, I mean, the, the, some of the commenters, I mean, a, a lot of the commenters on that article are people that we know in the sort of mobile space who are a lot of the, obviously, people who write blogs, um, Stefan Constantinescu and Ricky Cadden have both commented on it, mm-hmm. and I think generally they're, they're, the, the, the comments seem to suggest that they, nobody really thinks that this damages the, damages the product and actually doesn't really affect the mass market. But, for example, in, in my mind, although I was excited by the product, I mean, I, I have an E71 here now, and it, you know, it, it's great to use all those things I was anticipating for such a long time, um, seeing the leaks did... Uh, sort of frustrate me with Nokia in terms of we were watching those things back in February and March and pictures emerging even in January and mm-hmm. it became apparent just how glacially slow sometimes the product release release processes um, mm-hmm. you know as, as they as they struggle to get it ready for the market and I, I began to wonder actually whether the product would be uh, would be any good when it came out because obviously the the, the delays suggest that they had problems to overcome that they were trying to iron the kinks out of the product. Yeah, and it, it sounds like they've managed to do that. I mean, it, it, it'd be interesting to see um, if a, a product gets announced uh, ahead of time um, with a, a bad review or a bad preview, uh, a bad preview, um, and and see if that ultimately hurts it. Uh, you know, whether people just start become disinterested with that device. I mean, short, shortly after the the seventy one leaks, there were. Uh, there were more leaks of the uh, was it the N79, potentially the N85, and the and the first um, the first touch uh, Symbian touch device, which I think is a Music Express one, um, the 5800. And I think that was leaked through some marketing materials. So it does rather seem like Nokia has a problem in this department because if it's not them posting walkthroughs on Nokia.com ahead of the official launch, or yeah. bloggers, you know, reviewing prototype products that their staff or uh, someone else has given out ahead of time. Then it's the uh, then it's the uh, the sales channel leaking the the sales material ahead of time. And again, this it just it just seems like uh, as a, as an organisation, the the control of that information prior to launch doesn't seem to be something that's very very well very well managed. Do you think it, it, it does seem like it would be a more because... deliberate attempt? Yeah, but do you think it could be just because there's a market for it? There's there's a market out there for people who are interested in reading and seeing about um, unreleased Nokia handsets. I mean, I don't 
I don't see anyone coming up and going, ah, oh, the new Sony Ericsson, it's got this and this, look, here's a picture of it. Um, yeah, I mean, there's I mean, there's some... a couple of pictures on the American blogs, like in Gadget and stuff, but there isn't really the same sort of uh, flurry of activity around them as there is with Nokia. Is that because there aren't any leaks, or is that just because people aren't interested as much? No, I think I think that's right. I, I I'd wonder though because of, obviously Nokia is one of the firms that does that engages with the sort of the enthusiast community most effectively, and also does some I think some of the best um, sort of pre pre launch buzz generating. I mean, again, there's sort of various blogger outreach programs and things. And I wonder actually if if the the what what's happening is that they're diminishing the value of those those projects by effectively uh, having the buzz be self-created by these by these unofficial leaks and then by the time they actually get to sort of introduce this thing people who are given devices early and would otherwise think this was quite special and want to go and do reviews and give you know a, a huge amount of time to reviewing this anyone who received a, a, an e71 just pointed straight back to the boy genius report and said you know read this and here's my here's, here's my further write-up so I mean you guys obviously you guys work for a firm that creates products in the mobile sector. I mean, do you did you find it challenging to control the flow of information about those products prior to a product launch? Is it something that uh, actually you 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 get advice on, or is this just a uniquely Nokia problem? Um, it, it's certainly very difficult to uh, keep our mouths shut sometimes. I mean, we're we're working internally on a, a couple of really exciting projects at the moment. Um, and you know, you go to the, the social events like the uh, uh, unlimited drinks event, and everybody's going, "Oh, what are you guys up to at the moment?" And it's like, mm, I "Can't say." It's almost, um, it almost feels like a cliche to be out, to turn around and go, oh, "I can't say." <laughs> um, it's uh, we're a very small company, so it's a lot easier to restrict the information that goes out and to manage that. Uh, in a company like Nokia with thousands of employees. Um, it's pretty much impossible. I mean, it's, it's incredible that Apple is able to, uh, I know I keep bringing it all back to Apple, but it's incredible how they are able to control that secrecy aspect. Well, it's it's not just internal as well. I mean, Nokia have to approach the um, that, that, the, the sales channel, which is in the majority is mobile network operators. And so you've got all these people outside of the company who are who are looking over your you know your, your product specs um, and there have been a couple of leaks where they've been official I think one of them was a Vodafone um, internal sheet that went round it was like a one page with a photo of the, of a handset and all the specs of it um, just to prep their sales guys and you know once you once you get down to that level you know you're talking about someone who's not particularly high up in a company that's not the company that's the product that's being leaked so you know why do they care about leaking the product so. Um I think that's it then for uh, the, the 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 main bit of the podcast. We should just go on. Jay, uh, only one shout out this week. Um, Jay, you wanted to uh, do a shout out to the guys from FreeSwitch. Uh, yes, I did. Um, there's probably not uh, many people listening to this podcast aware of uh, what FreeSwitch is, um, but there's probably a lot of you who know what Asterisk is, which is a an open source uh, soft switch that you can install on a, a server and turn it into a, a PBX or a, a telecom switch. Um, the guys from FreeSwitch have a, a, a product which um, kind of rose up out of the ashes of, uh, of Asterisk when they wanted to go in a different direction um, a couple of years ago, and they've just reached uh, version one. So I just wanted to uh, give a shout out to Anthony Minasali, Brian West, Mike Jarris, and Michael Belicki um, from the FreeSwitch project. Uh, if you head over to www.freeswitch.org if you're in the market for a soft switch uh, and check it out. Um, it's uh, a hell of a lot more stable and uh, scalable than uh, the products I mentioned earlier. Um, 
So, uh, yeah, so that's it. Fantastic. So let's move on to things of the week then. Um, Jay, do you want to go first? Oh, yeah, sure. Um, so my thing of the week is a little bit technical, um, as you can probably expect from me. It's a product, uh, it's an application for Symbian firms called Rompatcher. Um, now, the Symbian community has been quite interesting over the past couple of months. Um, back on, I think it was the 24th of April, um, Symbian Freak reported that uh, an application called Rompatcher had been released, which was a, an extension to two hacks, which had come out uh, a month or two previous. And what these hacks do is um, completely disable the security on Symbian third edition phones. Now, when Symbian uh, third edition phones first came out, the biggest change to the Symbian um, operating system was that applications had to be signed. And each application on the phone was signed with a certain set of capabilities. So, for example, if you were writing um, a social networking application that used uh, the Wi-Fi antenna or used uh, GPS, then you had to sign your app with the location capability. And in order to do that, you had to head on over to Symbian's site and pay a lot of money to ultimately get your uh, app signed and push it out the door. Now, Symbian changed all this recently with something called OpenSigned, um, and this is their attempt to, make, to simplify the process of getting your app signed and, and make it easier to develop apps that require signing because there's no way on a Symbian app, uh, on a Symbian phone, of disabling the security aspects of it until now. Now, previously, what you'd have to do if you were writing some uh, application that used the GPS on your phone, you'd have to um, go and buy it, a developer certificate, um, and install it, and sign your app every single time you wanted to run it on the phone, um, or install it on the phone. Um, what ROM Patcher does, and you can find it by searching for Symbian space ROM space Patcher on Google, which will take you to the Symbian Freak link. Um, the instructions are not for the faint of heart, so this is really developers only and people who have a, uh, a bit of technical uh, aptitude. Um, but once you've uh, gone through the instructions, it basically allows you to install unsigned applications on your phone that can use all the capabilities of the phone. Um, and this is huge in the Symbian uh, community because now it makes applications so much more uh, easier to develop and also um, more cost-effective because you don't have to spend all these time and resources in purchasing certificates, etc. Dan? Yeah, my uh, my thing of the week, I'm going back to basics this, this week uh, with Y-Browser. Um, I think it's always uh, good if you're a mobile geek to have a file browser on your uh, Series 60 device. Um, this certainly came in handy the other week when I uh, my battery went flat uploading a quick video and I had to go in and get the individual files off. Um, the thing about Y-Browser that differentiates it to the, all the other browsers I've used is it's, uh, it has a plug-in architecture. So, uh, for example, I can get a plug-in that lets me send things via Bluetooth or you know look inside zip files or text viewer and so on. Um, so, yeah, it's just a really nice uh, file browser. There's not really much more you can say about a file browser, is there? Good stuff. Um my thing of the week this week is um, something which has appeared actually in a Toshiba phone. Um, so that's a Windows Mobile 6-based device, but I am crying out for on other devices, and I, I wouldn't half like it on a Nokia device, and that is a fingerprint-based authentication. Now, that sounds a bit OTT in the whole security uh, side of things, and I raved last week about um, the phone memory and phone uh, memory card encryption that gave the additional security on the E71. But this week I've been becoming increasingly frustrated with the process of unlocking the handset. Um, when you run mail for exchange, uh, a central set of policies are applied that are defined by uh, the mail 
the mail systems administrator that it forces you to put a, an unlock code into the device before you can use it. And now that's entirely sensible because it means that you can control access to the sensitive information that might be in the email. And it also means then if the lock code is not entered successfully a certain number of times, the device can be remotely wiped. And they, those are all great enterprise features. But in order to look up a piece of information now, I have to unlock the, hand, I have to unlock the keypad and then enter five digits of, of, of information. And it's proving really far too slow for quickly picking up the phone and achieving something with it. And I was thinking, how could I possibly get the same level of security, but much, much more rapidly. The two or three key presses that I do to unlock my uh, N95 gets a little bit tiring at times. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I find it annoying to have to swipe the uh, the iPhone to uh, to get to any pertinent information that isn't displayed on the home screen there. Yeah, so. absolutely. But again, I because because I use these handsets for business, you know, I'm, you, it's, uh, you absolutely have to put it's some... forced upon you by your administrator. Yeah. Well, yeah. It, it, so yeah, fingerprint scanners in that in that case, I think a good idea. Absolutely. Or alternatively, if uh, if you've got any other brighter ideas, why not leave a, a comment on the uh, on the podcast post? It'd be an interesting subject. Maybe I'll um, we'll, we'll write up a piece in the next week or so. Arford implant. <laughs> I, I, I have to, I, I'm too much of a coward to go for the the, the Dan Lane uh, the implant in my wrist <laughs> school. Although I was very impressed by your demonstration the other day, Dan. That was uh, that was very science fiction. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I think we've come to the end of the list. So, so thank you very much to Dan and particularly Jay Fenton for joining us this week. Uh, Anytime. No, no problem. I uh, hope you've enjoyed this and look forward to SMS Text News podcast number 12 next week when the boss returns and we're back to business as usual. Thanks very much. A bit more professionalism next week. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on smstextnews.com.